Hey, this is Keenan Clark. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to this episode of my podcast. I am really praying that your time listening helps you to realize just how loved and enjoyed you are by God. If you'd like, you can stay connected with me by following me on all major social media platforms. Now, get ready, because I have to say this episode is so good. I love you. But are you guys ready for the word tonight? Are you guys ready for the word? It's going to be good. I'm excited for what God's going to say. And we've been in a series, um, or at least we were, right before the snowpocalypse happened. Um, but we've been in a series that we're simply calling So I Hope. So I Hope. And ultimately, we've been traveling through the life of this series as an entire church, but we've been looking at it um, here at Young Adults. We've been going some different places that we haven't gone on Sunday morning. And uh, tonight, I believe we're going to be uh, buttoning this series up. So if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn over to the book of Romans in chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and we're going to start reading at verse 13. Romans 15, 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's totally okay. Uh, Because listen to me, you're in a place right now who anticipated that there would be people here who did not own a Bible, okay? So if you don't own a Bible here tonight, um, I want you to know you are at home. We love you, and we have made space and provision because we do not want you feeling left out, or we do not want, this is not, what I'm trying to say is this is not for insiders. This is for everybody. You're in a place right now who, who actually makes space and, and, and provision for people who don't know spiritually up from down, left from right. So if you feel that way tonight, if you feel even a little bit lost, you're in the right place. I promise you, you're not lost. Okay. So, hey, if you would, Romans 15, 13. I was trying to stall so you can find Romans. Says this, Paul writes this, the apostle Paul, he's kind of a cool guy and he writes this. He says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope. Hey, do you realize that that's the God you serve? I came here to remind somebody tonight, you serve the God of hope. You don't serve the God of condemnation. You don't serve the God, listen to me, of retribution. You don't serve the God that wants to throw your past in your face. No, you serve the God of hope. Listen to me, God is not going to change who he is just because you forgot who you were. Some of you think that you have access to God's hope because you sometimes remember that you're a Christian and sometimes you forget. Listen to me, God's not bipolar. God's not going to forget who he is. And that's where our faith is in. My faith isn't in you. My faith isn't in me. My My faith is in the God of hope. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the rock, okay? And I can bet my bottom dog. I came to preach tonight. I can bet my bottom dollar on the God of hope. Even when things look hopeless in your life, thank God your life is not based on how your life goes. Your life is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the God of hope. That's just the first couple words, dadgummit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. As you trust in him. Now, when I was in seminary, I had a professor who told me, um, Kenan, anytime you see the word all in scripture, you need to understand this. You need to apply this. Okay. Anytime it says all, what it actually means is, is all. Okay. In the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the Aramaic, when you, when you begin to dissect all the nooks and crannies, pocket corner and crevices of the original language, it actually means all. Listen to me. When it says that God wants to fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It's not three quarters full. 
It's not a halfway filling. It's not I'll come and top you off. No, it's a fill to overflow. And listen to me. You will get out of tonight what you believe you're, you're allowed to have. And listen to me. God is here tonight trying to convince you you can have it all. You can have it all. If you'll have faith for it all, God will give you it all. But if you come in here eking through like you think you're some sad sack of crap, you're going to leave here with just what you believe. Listen to me. What you believe a sad sack of crap deserves. And God says, it's not based on what you deserve. It's based on what I deserve. And I deserve all of you. Therefore, I'm going to give you all of me. Listen, God is into sowing and reaping. You understand that? You, whatever you sow, you will reap. God sowed all of himself so he could reap all of you. You understand that tonight. God did not wait for you to kind of meet him halfway. No, he went all in so that you could maybe one day go all in on him. God's already got all in on you. Man, I'm feeling this tonight. The Holy Ghost is in this place. I love it. Man, the God of hope is going to fill you. Listen to me. He's going to fill you. He's going to fill you with all joy and peace. But listen to me. Here's the caveat. As you trust in him. It's as we trust in God that all of a sudden we are opened up to a reality only God could open us up to. And that is an area where joy overflows, where peace is liberally given. All of a sudden it's as we trust in him. And a lot of us, here's the problem. We wait for joy and peace to show up and then we'll be like, all right, God, won't you give me joy? <laughs> won't you give me peace? Then I'll trust you. And God says, no, 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 no. The way this works is you trust me. And then joy and peace show up, which means sometimes, listen to me, sometimes you're going to have to trust God in the dark. You're going to have to trust God in the dark tonight. And listen to me, if you feel like you were in the dark, whether that's emotionally, whether that's relationally, whether that's spiritually, I don't, socially, I don't know how you feel, but you are in the dark tonight. Listen to me. I'm here to tell you there is one who is not. And even when you feel like the lights have turned off, his lights have not. Why? Because he is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. But sometimes you're going to have to trust even when it's dark. Um, I remember a few years ago um, in Brooklyn and I, which she's out of town right now, my younger sister, we got to go uh, to uh, Disneyland. All right. We went to Disneyland and we were adults. OK, which still are. We were as if we like digressed or something like that. We went backwards. Um, that's not how that works. OK, for some people, that's actually how it works. But for us, maybe for Benjamin Button, I don't know. OK. But Brooklyn and I, as adults, got to go to Disneyland with our parents, okay? And the reason that was was because we went to, like, a church planters conference with my mom and dad, okay? So this is a few years ago. went to Disneyland, and we're sitting there, and Brooklyn and I are like, forget you old folks, okay? We're going to every ride. We're, we're, we're riding it like we stole it, baby, okay? It's awesome. So we're going through, jumping through every line until finally we come to this one ride called Space Mountain. Space Mountain. Anybody ever ridden Space Mountain in the house of God? Come on. Okay, it's awesome. Space Mountain. Okay, so we jump in line ready for Space Mountain. Now, you have to understand, I've been to Disney World before. Been to Disney World, but never been to Disneyland. Okay, Disney World has Space Mountain as well. So I'm sitting there like, you know, it's a little bit nostalgic for me. You know, I was like 13, 12 or 13 the last time I rode this ride. And now all of a sudden, it was a few years ago, so I was probably like 23 22 this time, and I'm sitting there in line, and Brooklyn and I are, are talking it up. Like, it's going to be awesome. And what you have to understand about Space Mountain, don't miss this, because this is kind of important for the rest of the story. What is, is awesome about Space Mountain is you ride it in the dark. You ride it in pitch black, and it's a roller coaster, okay? It's awesome. 
So we sit there, we finally make it through the, you know, forever long line. Okay, you think eternity is going to be long, okay? Like, I'm prepped. I know how to wait. You know, the Lord taught me something in that line. A waiting season is not a wasted season. Come on, somebody. All right? Don't wither while you wait. You know, don't quit in the quiver. All right? You know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting there. We're in line. And finally, it's time for us to get in our little, you know, little, little spaceship. And so we sit in our spaceship at Space Mountain. The little, the little bar comes down. And we sit there. And they count us down. And the thing goes, three, two, one. Boom! Okay? And it shoots us off, and we are, we're going every which way a body can go. Okay? We are literally all over the place. But remember, last time I rode this ride, I was 12 years old, which means I was about 5 foot 3. Okay? 12 years old, 5 foot 3, maybe 5 4. Okay? On a good day. Okay? With a little lift. I was wearing some boots. All right? So I was a lot shorter. So now all of a sudden, I was like, I did not take into consideration the fact that, like, yo, I'm a full-grown man and some compared to the average. I'm 6'2", okay? So I'm 6'2", sitting in this ride, and it's so dark, but there are little cracks of light where you can see um, bars. You can see the mechanics of what make this roller coaster a roller coaster. And I'm telling you, instantly I shut down, okay? Because all the devil was putting in my brain was that my head was about to get lopped off by some bar, Okay? <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm like, yo, I sit pretty high in the saddle, my friend. All right. I'm like, my head about to come clean off of this thing. Okay. And your boy wasn't married then. So there were a lot of promises yet, yet to be fulfilled. Okay. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, my head's going to come off. And then on top of that, like, there's no way if my head's about to come off, there is no way I'm sticking my arms in the air. Like I just don't care. Okay. I am not about to do that. So instantly I, I shut down out of being afraid, because I was like, I want to make it out of here alive, you know? And so I'm riding this roller coaster, just sitting there like, like, just like a clam, and all of a sudden this thought hit me. Keenan, you may be riding this thing in the dark, but you have to understand the person who put it together didn't put it together in the dark. No, they had, they, they had a different point of view. The person who signed off on this thing and said, hey, you're good to go. They factored in six foot two Keenan Clark one day riding this ride said, yeah, if, you, if Keenan will just rip it, if Keenan will just have a good time, he'll end up on the other side and he'll be better for it in the end. And I came here to preach to somebody tonight. I'm telling you, just because it's dark doesn't mean the one who's laid your steps was in the dark when he laid them. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous person, they are ordered of the Lord. And when your are Trust is in the Lord, not your ability to navigate your own life, not in the ability to zig when you should have zagged. But I'm telling you, when your trust is in the Lord, you can trust that your steps are ordered. When your trust is in the Lord, all of a sudden you begin to walk with a little different swagger. You all of a sudden walk with, with faith. And I'm telling you, when all of a sudden that hit me, I literally yelled, I'm going to preach this. Because it was so obvious, right? You know what I mean? The correlation was just so obvious. And would you believe that as soon as I realized that, man, I, that little clam, that shell of a man named Keenan Clark, all of a sudden, whoo, my hands were in the air because I didn't care. My hair was flying all over the place. I had the best time. And I'm here to tell you, there are some of you who are just trying to just make it through life right now. And I'm not, can we, can we kind of like dial this in for a second? I don't want to just talk about the, the grand scheme of your life tonight. I want to talk about the here and now. And there are some of you, you have dreams of getting to let go, but right now I better, I better buckle down. Right now I better bear the hatches. Right now I better, I, I better white knuckle this thing because this season's a little rough and I'm just trusting, I'm hoping that one day my life is going to be the roller coaster ride where I can let go and I can let God. 
But I'm here to tell you, faith only makes a difference right now. Faith makes a difference right now. That's why Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith. It says now faith. Faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It says now faith. Listen to me. Faith is now. Trusting God is now. And a lot of us, we trick ourselves into believing that one day I'm going to go full in on God. One day I'm going to actually... I'm going to actually go the distance. One day, you know, whenever my, when I finally start to cross my spiritual T's, dot my spiritual I's, get my spiritual ducks in a row, maybe when I get a little bit more mature, or maybe when I'm done with my college years and I'm done sowing my wild oats. You know, people say that. I'm just sowing my wild oats. Listen to me. Um, wake up call. If you sow wild oats, what do you think you're going to reap? Some of you are so, so busy saying, I I'm just going to live it while I'm young. And then one day, I'll give my life to God. One day I'll actually begin to trust him. One day I'll actually begin to let go and live the robust, vibrant, abundant life that God's called me to live. And I'm here to tell you, it's now faith. And the beautiful thing about, listen to me, the beautiful thing about this is that your ability to enjoy your life is not based on you. It's based on the one who gave it to you. And I'm telling you, when all of a sudden we realize Jesus gave me permission to live it, so I'm not going to let anybody put me in a box. I'm not going to let anybody tell me, seriously, you, you're going to that YA thing. You, you're, you're reading your Bible. You remember what you did last semester. I, I, don't, I don't remember you pulling me out of last semester. I thought, as far as I can recall, it was Jesus who pulled me out of last semester. It was, listen to me, it was Jesus who pulled you out of last night. There's somebody in here. You know what I'm talking about right now. I feel this, man. The Lord pulled you out of something maybe last night, last week. Last month, and I'm telling you, you don't need to, you don't, you, you don't, your praise does not have to be limited to the level of your morality. Yeah. Your praise does not have to be limited to the level of your morality. Your praise should be unlimited because the God you are praising is unlimited. And I'm telling you, when all of a sudden we step into his, his courts and with thanksgiving and praise, and all of a sudden we begin to trust in him, that's when the joy, that's when the peace, that's when the feeling you were meant to live off of begins to seep down and creep down into every nook, cranny, pocket, corner, crevice of your soul. I'm here to tell you tonight, this stuff works. Listen to me. I know I'm yelling. I know I'm screaming. I know I'm jazzed. Okay. But I'm telling you, the reason I'm jazzed about this is because it freaking works, man. I've gotten high on my own supply. I'm here to tell you, God has been so good to me. He's been better to me than I deserve. There are some of you that you only know this Kenan Clark. And you look at my life and you think, man, yeah, that, it makes sense for him to do all that. No, it doesn't. Listen, if you were to peel back this onion, if you were to peel back the layers, if you were to go in the closet, you'd find the same skeletons that are in yours. Same grace of God that opened up a robust life for me and is continuing to open up a robust life for me wants to open up a robust life for you. He wants to open a robust life for you. I don't remember Jesus asking Lazarus if it was okay if he called him out of the tomb. I don't remember Jesus asking for permission to call Lazarus out of the tomb. I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus is calling you out. Jesus is calling you out. And it's not based on your goodness. It's not based on your militants, your discipline, your devotion, your focus. It's based on him. It's because that's what he does. He brings things back to life. If you were looking to stay dead tonight, you came to the wrong place. That's what he does. It's who he is. And I'm telling you, he wants to meet you right where you're at. And it's as you let him into the here and now that all of a sudden he can make your here and now the dead and gone. 
And as you trust in him, you take another step. I'm telling you, he will begin to light your freaking world on fire. And it'll be the best feeling you've ever had. Man, I'm telling you, this is what, oh man, thank you, Lord. This is what God wants for you, man. what he wants. And I just pray. I know I'm getting a little undone right now, but I just pray that you just begin to let this happen. I'm not trying to be slick. I'm not trying to be up here and perform. I'm not your monkey. I'm not going to dance. I came here to tell you how much God cares about you. I came here to tell you that he sees you and he's not looking at you with some scowl. He's not, his countenance isn't one of a disappointed father. He's not waiting for you to get home to beat the hell out of you. No, he's ready to love the hell out of you. He's ready to love those parts of you that you hate and watch as every part that doesn't look like him begins to buckle, fall, and bow before his love. That's what he does. He loves people back to life. God's not interested in giving you what you deserve tonight. He's interested in giving you himself. He's interested in giving you himself. Oh, man, I don't know who that diatribe was for, but I'm thankful I went on it. nobody else got anything it was for me but man it's as we trust in him in the midst of the darkness in the midst of the listen to me the confusion some of you are waiting for everything to make sense about the bible for you to go full in can i tell you right now it don't all make sense to me like can i just be that candid can i be that real if i were listen to me i'm just going to be straight up with you if i were to have waited to grab this microphone for it to all make sense to me, there are some of you that would have never said yes to Jesus because you said yes to Jesus in this room. That's right. But I know what I know, and I know enough. I know Jesus. I don't need to know everything Leviticus has to tell me. I need to know who Leviticus points to, and that's Jesus. I need to know who the psalmist was pointing to, and that's Jesus. I need to know who the law and the prophets were pointing to, and that's Jesus. My bottom dollar is on Jesus. If I know Jesus, like I said, if I lift him up, it will draw all men and women unto him. And guess what? He gets the glory, not my academics. Not my cerebral mentality. Not my spiritually astuteness. His glory gets the glory. Because guess what? God wants to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Listen to me. God wants to use you tonight. He wants to use you. And not because he sees you as some tool, but because you're his kid. And his love wants to get up inside of you and begin to change things and begin to move things and begin to shake things. Till all of a sudden you look up and you don't even recognize you anymore. And you love it. I'm telling you, that's the place he's taken me. That's the place he's taken Mauricio Franco Jr. That's the place he's taking Kyle Bunger. That's the place he's taking Weston Clark. That's the place he's taking Michael Avila. That's the place he's taking Mason. That's the place he wants to take you. I'm telling you, as you dare to let him drag you in, as you dare to let him pull you into this life, I'm telling you, you find a breathing room for your soul you've never had. Deuteronomy says this, Deuteronomy 31.8. It says this, we got to move. It says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Now, I want to call your attention to this. Why would the Bible tell you do not be afraid or discouraged if it wasn't already aware that you might find yourself afraid and discouraged? Listen to me. You being afraid and discouraged tonight is not a surprise to God. That's why he addressed it about 4,000 years ago when Deuteronomy was written. He said, hey, I know some people in San Angelo, Texas. They're going to feel afraid. They're going to feel dismayed and discouraged. I I need to encourage them right now. Before you ever even felt that way, God had already given you the remedy. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be discouraged. And it says this, for, here's the reason, that word for is there to show you what it's for. For the Lord will, listen, I love this language. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. I told you a moment ago when I was preaching that illustration, the steps of a righteous person, they are ordered of the Lord. You need to understand God has your back. God's got your six. God knows what's up. And as we begin, as we begin to take that first step, the Bible says this, that the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. What does that mean? It doesn't illuminate everything. It illuminates the next thing. It doesn't illuminate everything. It illuminates the next thing. And listen to me, some of you, you don't know everything, but you know the next thing. You know the next thing God's asking of you. He's not asking you to be fully obedient for the remainder of your life right in this moment. He's asking you to be fully obedient for this moment. And that is step into the next thing. Man, God will personally, I love that, personally. Man, what kind of relationship does this show God wants with you? What kind, of, what, kind, what kind of God does this paint a picture of? I was painted, when I was a kid, I was painted a picture of a God who constantly wanted me to serve him. And this verse, this is a freaking Old Testament verse. This verse tells me that God's interested in serving me. And I don't mean that in some weird way where all of a sudden he wants to make me God. But I'm telling you, God's willing to get to a low place so that he can begin to lift you to the high place he's called you to live. He says, let me personally go ahead of you. Let me make a way for you. Let me escort you into the place and space that I've written your name on long before you were even in your mother's womb. Long before you had lips, hips, and fingertips to call my, my name, I was calling yours. And man, it's the, God wants to personally escort you. God wants to personally escort you into your destiny. But it's as we trust his escorting. It's as we trust his leading, as we trust his voice, that all of a sudden the joy and the peace begin to show up. I want to, I want to show you this. John 7, 38 says this. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. John 7, 38 says this. Anyone who believes in me, listen, anyone who believes in me, it does not say anyone who believes in themselves enough. Listen to me. What I'm, talking to you about, what I'm talking to you about tonight is not the power of positive thinking. What I'm really trying to say is this is not new age. But I, I can just see it in my brain, and if I think about it long enough, if I believe for it enough, it'll just manifest. Listen to me. You can't make it manifest. You've been thinking about it for 10 years. You've been thinking about going to that Ivy League for five years. You've been thinking about getting into that relationship for, the, for your whole life. You've been trying to make it manifest. Listen to me. If you could have, you would have. This is not about you getting everything in order. It's as if anyone, if anyone believes in me, me, Jesus is what we've got to put our faith in. Not part Jesus, part you. It's all in on him. As you be believe in me, you can come and drink. Come and take me in. Guess what I can't do right now? I can't drink tomorrow's coffee right now. I can't drink tomorrow's coffee and expect, well, I drank, I drank today's coffee yesterday, so why am I not feeling perky? Why am I not feeling the Jesus juice flowing through my veins? No, what you drink now affects now. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want in on the now. I want in on right here. Drink me in. Take me in. I know, you didn't I, didn't, I know you didn't get a drip of me yesterday, but drink me today. I'm not holding that over your head. I'm just saying you probably need it even more. Drink me in. Take me in and watch what will happen. For the scriptures declare, I will create rivers of living water. Listen to me. Listen to this. If you will take as much of Jesus as in as you possibly can, He'll make more come out of you than you could ever let out of you. 
you take a drip of Jesus and a river begins to flow. Jesus can do a lot with a little bit. You take one swig, you take one gulp, and all of a sudden, man, he begins to create rivers of living water to flow from your heart. What I'm saying is our hope, it cannot be in our ability. Listen to me. Your hope cannot be in your ability to navigate your life. Your hope can't be in your ability to see through every little facet of every little situation socially. Some of you, that's what you do. I'm not calling you out because I don't really know you. I'm just calling you up. If the shoe fits, the Holy Spirit sent it. Blame him. I don't know your size. But I'm telling you, there are some of you that you, you always have to be calculated. You, always, you don't enter a situation until you know you've already thought through every little nook, cranny, pocket, corner, little vantage point that this could possibly go. And I'm here to tell you, it's as you just trust God. Some of you need to trust God socially. I don't know who that's for. And I know that, listen to me, listen to me. I want to pat you on the back right now because if that's you, you trusted him big time tonight by even coming in here. There are some of you who trusted God big time. It took a literal leap of faith for you to even walk in this place tonight. Thank you. Thank you, but don't stop here. Keep going. And I'm telling you, it's as you drink him in, as you take him in, as your hope isn't in you, your hope is in him who lives in you. I'm telling you, all of a sudden, things that you could never even make happen for you begin to happen for you. Things that you couldn't even begin to do in your own strength. All of a sudden, God, the spirit of grace just begins to go before you and open doors that no man can shut. I'm telling you, our hope, this is the big deal I wanted to talk about tonight. I know this seems elementary, but I think it's, all, it, it's a lot of times it's the foundational things that we get so wonky on. It's the foundational things. It's like, I, I, you know, whenever I was a kid, they would always teach me, you know, you got to trust God. And you know what? That sermon that I heard in the first grade is even more relevant now at almost 26 years old. That sermon's more relevant. I need to hear, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I'm telling you, I need to hear that as a 26-year-old man. I need to let that come alive in me again. Because it's the foundational things. It's the rudimentary things. It's the elementary things that we can begin to let go and drift off. And I'm telling you, those are the foundations for a reason. Those are the foundations for a reason. I'm telling you, our hope can't be in us. Our hope can't be in our ability to navigate. Our hope has to be that he's already navigated. He's already come. And real quickly, this is where I really want to bring it down. I, did, I wanted to leave space and time for us to do the baptisms, but this is where I bring it down. And if you want, if you're going to be getting baptized, I just highly encourage you to go ahead and dismiss yourself. If you need to change, this would be a great time for you to go change, okay? But real quickly, I want to look at a story found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And some of you are going to be familiar with it. I'm going to read the opening lines to you. It says this, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says this. Jesus is having this moment. It says, just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrine. Now I wanted to point this out to you. It's a religious scholar. And what does the religious scholar come to Jesus to do? He doesn't come to Jesus to trust him. He comes to, him to, test, to, comes to him to test him. Listen to me. That's what a religious spirit will do. It wants to test the Jesus in you. It's constantly want to put you to the test. Constantly wanting to, to see how you measure up. Constantly wanting to see if you're up to snuff. Constantly wanting to see if you're really 
worth the bang for your buck. Constantly wants to see where you're at. This, the religious spirit, the religious lens. And there are some of you sitting right here tonight that may be looking at me through a religious lens. And you're sitting there saying, Keenan, let let, 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 let's see. See how good you can preach. See what you can show me in the scriptures. Listen, a religious lens will always leave you t- testing and never trusting. Religious leader comes up to Jesus to test his doctrine. It says this, he posed this question, teacher, being all nice, empty platitude, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Now notice he does not think he actually needs an answer to this. He's just wanting to see if Jesus has his correct answer. He wants to see, am I going to actually sign off on Jesus? And listen to me, that will always leave you disappointed because Jesus isn't here to try to pass your test. Can I tell you that tonight? Your test is flawed. Your test, your litmus test, the things you think you need to measure up God next to to see if he passes or fails you, it's flawed. And there are some of you thinking God cosmically failed you when God is working the best out for your good. What the enemy meant for evil, he is turning around for good. There are some of you think God's failed you and he says, no, no, that's just one chapter. Turn the page, baby. There's more to the story. Some of you got hung up in one area and God says, no, no, no. That's just part of the mosaic. That's just part of the narrative. Keep reading. It gets better. He says, man, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Jesus replied, what does, the, what does Moses teach us? And he says, what does the law, what do you read in the law? And it says this in the next verse, verse 27. The religious scholar answered, it states, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that is correct. Ding, ding, ding. We got a winner. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Now notice what happens. Jesus says, hey, you literally just answered correctly. Like, that's right. Go and do that and you'll live. And notice what it says. Go to verse 29. Waiting to justify himself. This is the religious scholar. Waiting to justify himself. Listen to me. That's where so many of us are at right now. We're looking to justify ourselves. We're looking to make things right ourselves. We're looking to kind of shore ourselves up. We're looking to kind of round ourselves out. And it says, looking to justify himself. I love it. The message version says this, looking for a loophole. Looking for a loophole. This is what this religious scholar, another translation says a lawyer. Now, what you understand is a lawyer back in that day was not like we have in the American judicial system. A lawyer was a person who was an expert in the law of Moses. The Levitical law, okay? So this is a religious scholar, a religious expert. And he says, wait, I want to find a loophole. And he questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean, my neighbor? What do, you, what, 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 what do you mean, my neighbor? And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to tell a story. And he says, hey, imagine with me, if you will, that there's a guy who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's, the, the scholar sits there, oh, okay, I'm familiar with the, that route. And, he says, imagine he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and all of a sudden on his travels, two robbers jump out of nowhere. They totally ambush him, and they begin to beat him to smithereens. They beat him up one side and down the other. They literally beat him so bad that the Bible would call him half dead. He's literally laying there lifeless almost. And completely naked is what the scriptures tell us. They've robbed him of everything, and they've left him to die. And then Jesus says this, but all of a sudden, a priest walks by. And I want you to understand this. You have to ask ourselves, why, why a priest? Like a lot of us, we don't ask questions of the Bible, and that's why you're not getting anything out of it. 
You need to slow down and actually ask, wait, why did Jesus choose a priest? Now I want to point this out to you. Who is he telling the story to? He's telling the story to a religious scholar. He's telling the story to a man who knows the law. And listen to me, most religious scholars, the most common religious scholar in that day was called a Levite. And Levites, listen to me, this is going somewhere and I don't want you to miss this. This is really cool. I know this sounds just like I'm teaching you Bible school stuff, but this is actually really cool. Levites were the only people who were eligible to graduate to being a priest. So he tells what we can believe to be a Levite that all of a sudden, hey, 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 a priest walked by the man. What's he doing? He's saying, the person you're working hard to be. You're a Levite. You want to graduate to being a priest. I'll, I'll give it to you. A priest walked by. The person you wish you were. The person you're working so hard to become. All of a sudden, the person you think is, is perfect. The person that, the, the position that once you think you reach this, you'll have made it. All of a sudden, the person in that position comes by the man. They see him lying there lifeless. And what do they do? They cross over to the other side of the road. And you can imagine he's sitting there thinking, oh my God, like really? What kind of priest is that? And then Jesus doesn't end the story there. He goes, okay, now all of a sudden a Levite walks by the man. Now I told you this man is a religious scholar, which more than likely makes him a Levite. So now Jesus doesn't just leave it at who he'd like to be. He now brings it a little closer into the cul-de-sac of who he actually is. He says, it's not just, you can't just have hope in who you'd like to be but who you are right now. Because listen to me, there are many of us that our hope is who, in who we're gonna be in the future. That's where your hope's at. Do you know there are many of you in this room, and I did this at points in my life, where my hope was not really in Jesus, my hope was in the person Jesus was gonna turn me into. And listen to me, that could not be more flawed because you are still putting your hope in you even if it is a fabricated futuristic version of you. Your hope can't be in who you'd like to be. And Jesus is saying, hey, who you'd like to be is still flawed. Who you'd like to be would still be asking me for a loophole. Who you'd like to be still couldn't live up to the snuff, couldn't live up to the requirements. And all of a sudden, Jesus brings it a little bit closer in. He says, and then a Levite, who you are right now. Because there are many of us right now who maybe we're not where we'd like to be, but we go, thank God, I'm not one of them. This Levite... Had, had, had accomplished some things in his life, even though he had not accomplished everything. And a lot of us, we camp out right here and go, oh, I may not be pastor, whatever his name is, but at least I'm not all so-and-so. At least I'm not a, a terrible person. At least I'm not that bad of an American or a Christian or a person or a brother or a sister or a roommate or a, a, a whatever. And Jesus says, no, 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 who you are right now, you're, you can't put your hope in who you are right now that you're better than somebody else. Because guess what the Levite does? He does the same thing. Steps over to the other side of the road and completely disregards the man, heaving for air. And then as soon as they think Jesus is done with the story, now you understand, you and I know this story, so we know that there's something else. They did it. They're hanging on Jesus's every word. And as soon as they think Jesus is gonna button up the story here, all of a sudden Jesus goes, but wait, don't wait, don't turn away. One more person. And all of a sudden, Jesus introduces a Samaritan to the narrative. And he says, a Samaritan walks by this man. And now you have to understand, you and I, a Samaritan, big deal. But you have to understand, in their day, their jaw would have hit the floor. Their jaw would have dropped because a Samaritan, listen to me, Samarit between Jews and Samaritans, there was racial tension. Sound familiar? Sound eerily similar to things we're still freaking dealing with 2,000 years later? 
that we think we're better than somebody else because we grew up in a different neighborhood or we have a different last name or our daddy does this and their daddy does that. My dad can beat up your dad. And all of a sudden, Jesus, all of a sudden, neutrally drops into a social atomic bomb. And Jesus says a Samaritan walks up. And they're all banking their bottom dollar and the Samaritan's gonna make the situation worse. They're gonna beat him up. Listen to me, Jews believed Samaritans were half-breeds. They believed they were mixed. They were mutts. They were good for nothing. They hated them. So all of a sudden he's telling them every person in the story has been a Jew and he introduces a Samaritan. Can I really make it, on, can I make it a little bit more 2021? What Jesus is doing in this moment is if he were standing here telling the story to you, he'd have said a pastor walked by this man and left him lying there dead. And then a really good church volunteer, a person who was really digging into the word all of a sudden, but they're not quite a pastor. They walk by this man and leave him for dead. But then all of a sudden a Muslim walks up and instantly we're thinking, or some of us are thinking, and what you're thinking is revealing something to you about you as to what would happen in that interaction. And Jesus tells all of a sudden somebody you could not feel further apart from you think there's nothing good coming out of them. All of a sudden, they go down to the man and they begin to lift him and prop him up and set him on, the, set him on their horse. And the Bible says that they go off and he takes him to an inn and he tells the innkeeper, he says, hey, I want you to take care of this man. Listen to me, Jesus is painting a story for us where the enemy pays for the healing of his, of his enemy. Jesus just showed us, hey, the enemy here ends up paying for the man who hates him, if he wasn't broke, busted, and disgusted, lying in a gutter, he probably would have tried to jump this guy. But all of a sudden, a Samaritan enters the store, and he picks him up out of the dust, he takes him to an end, says, whatever extra charges you accumulate, I'll come back and I'll pay it in full out of my own pocket. And Jesus looks at the guy and says, which do you think was a neighbor to the man? And the, 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 the religious leader in the story says, I guess the one who showed him mercy. He is so steeped in his broken, fragmented worldview that he can't even, after hearing Jesus' story, bring himself to utter the word Samaritan. He says, I guess the one who showed him some kindness. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now listen, Jesus is trying to get us to see something. The same thing he's trying to get the religious scholar to see, that your hope can't be in a future version of you, and your hope can't be in the fact that you're at least better than those around you. Jesus is trying to get you to see that there is a good Samaritan. And listen to me, I grew up believing that I was supposed to be the good Samaritan. That's, where, that's how it was explained to me. Like, this is, this is how you're supposed to live your life. And I think there is an element of that that is true. But listen to me, that is not proper interpretation of Scripture. Listen, you're not the good Samaritan. You're not David and David and Goliath is what I'm trying to say. We always make ourselves the main character. And Jesus is trying to get us to see that there is one who comes down from his high place. And he goes to the other side of the road. He goes to the other side of the tracks. Jesus went to the other side of the cosmos. You have to understand, remember, Jesus' story does not start as a baby. If Jesus' story started as a baby, that would be cute. Jesus' story didn't start as a baby. It started as a king on a throne. And then that king got out of that throne to become a baby down in a manger. If we had just a baby in a manger, that'd be cute. If we have a king who's in a throne who leaves the throne to come become a baby, that's grace. I'm telling you, Jesus' story is one of crossing oceans. It's crossing galaxies. It's crossing decades to get to your ears tonight. 
So you would dare to see his sufficiency. You would dare to see his glory. You would dare to see his enoughness. And Jesus all of a sudden says, a Samaritan, a person you neglect, a person you overlook, a person you think nothing good could come from. They said this of Jesus, what good could come from Galilee? Psalm, 20, Psalm 8, 118, verse 22, let's throw it up. It says this, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. The one people overlook, the one people to marginalize, the one culture rejects. God says, that's the thing you need to bank your life on. I came here to tell you tonight, you are not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. In every Bible story, you know Jesus is the hero. Jesus is David who takes out the giant for you by grabbing five smooth stones. Five is the number of grace. He grabs grace, and what does he do? He defeats the giant. What does the giant represent? It represents hell, death, the grave, and the law and the prophets. Jesus, with one fell swoop of grace, took out everything that stood mocking you. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And I'm telling you, it's as we see this... It's as we see Jesus coming to us in our low place, coming to us in our gutter. I'm telling you all of a sudden, we won't go looking for loopholes because I'm here to tell you what looks like a loophole. If you were to dare to get a little closer to it, you're going to find it's not a loophole. It's actually an empty tomb whose stone has been rolled away and whose, whose, whose inhabitants have vacated to now seat at the right hand of God, making intercession for you. I'm telling you, it's Jesus. Jesus is your loophole. You need a loophole tonight. You find some deficiencies in your soul tonight. You find some holes in your morality tonight. I'm here to tell you Jesus is enough. He's enough. And right now, just with every head bowed, I know I've gone a little over, but with every head bowed and every head closed, I just want to create a moment of privacy and concentration. Because I think there could be two groups of people in here tonight who you would say, Keenan, I've never, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I know we're about to go into baptisms, but I cannot allow this moment to pass us by and risk you walking out the door tonight not having said yes to your good Samaritan. Not saying yes to a future version of you. Not banking on that, I hope I'm good enough right now. But I'm telling you, banking your life on the stone the builders rejected. Banking your life on the cornerstone. Banking your life on Jesus. Culture would tell you this is the stupidest thing. Culture would tell you this is dumb, but guess what? He's the stone culture rejected. Don't reject him tonight. If that's you, if you would say, Keenan, I need to put my faith in Jesus. When I count to three here in a moment, I just want you to shoot your hand up because we believe a hand just kind of is representative of your heart. We don't believe this hand going up saves you. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. But secondly, I think there's some people in here who you would say, Keenan, I see myself in a different part of the story. I may not be the man lying down in a gutter bleeding, lifeless. But I'm that religious scholar. I'm the person who's, who spent too much time testing and not enough time trusting. And you would say, Keenan, I'm ready. I'm ready to step out of my place of testing God and I'm ready to start trusting God. If that's you tonight, when I count to three, whether you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, I just want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three. One, God loves you. Come on. Two, now is a real moment. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Yes, 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 yes. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. Hands going up all of this room. Would you leave it up right now? Come on. Don't come this far to only come this far. Let's, let's let this be a real moment. Let's let this be a real moment. You don't need somebody on the keyboard. You don't need somebody making it sound spiritual. This is a real moment. With your hands up, I just want to pray with you. I'm going to, I'm going to raise my hand with you. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you see these hands. And that hand represents a heart 
that's just said yes to you, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. And Lord, I thank you that right now your grace rushes in like a flood. And Lord, I thank you that when the enemy comes in, you raise up a standard against him. And I thank you that that standard is called the grace of God. It's not their ability. It's not their fortitude. It's not their militants, God. I thank you that it's your grace. Your enoughness, your love, Lord, I thank you that it raises a standard up inside of them right now. And I call every person in here under the sound of my voice, every hand that I didn't even see because it just kind of went up. I thank you that I call them saved. I, I call them secure. And I thank you, listen to me, I thank you that no lying voice from the enemy can try to convince them that this wasn't real. That this wasn't real, that that didn't really happen. Your hand going up didn't mean anything. Listen to me, Jesus just needs a sliver of faith to change your entire life a mustard seed grain of faith to all of a sudden produce something in you that can shade you for eternity. And I thank you for it right now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for those who just said yes to Jesus? Come on.